Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of EU radio stations. Welcome to Euronet Plus Panorama. This week we're talking about the prospects of a number of aspiring EU member states. The much-discussed question of whether to grant Ukraine and Moldova EU candidate status is at the top of many radio stations' agendas this week. And is there light at the end of the tunnel for the Western Balkans? Last Friday, the 17th of June, the Commission recommended that Kyiv and Chisinau be granted candidate status, subject to certain conditions. For the time being, though... Georgia should only be given a European perspective, according to the EU executive. Up until now, many existing member states have been reluctant to go down this road. Several reasons are given for this, including economic, rule of law and corruption concerns, not to mention the bloc's capacity to absorb more countries and still be able to function. Yet the most reticent member states, including Sweden, the Netherlands, France and Germany, have recently indicated a shift in their position and EU leaders are now expected to accept the Commission's recommendations at their summit, which is currently ongoing on the 23rd and 24th of June. For their part, MEPs overwhelmingly backed the move in a vote on Thursday. But what difference does candidate status really make to anyone? Mert Volmer, Estonia's Undersecretary for European Affairs, explains its significance to Cuckoo Radio. Looking to the future, the more Eastern European countries that join the European Union, that is, the more stable, predictable, good trading partners we have in the future, the more secure we will be. If these countries have candidate status, if these reforms are sped up, if the EU provides more aid, if the whole setup is done in accordance with European standards, then this will immediately mean more opportunities for our companies. In addition to the bigger picture of stability, there will be practical benefits right from the start. Ukraine, for its part, has identified candidate status as one of the three most important ways of supporting them. Along with weapons, aid and sanctions, it is one thing that keeps them fighting and gives them success and hope. Strategically, this decision is the right one, so that we can win this war in the end. Warsaw has been outspoken in its support for Ukraine and Moldova's bids to be granted EU candidate status. At a press conference earlier this week, a Polish government spokesperson reiterated that both countries are particularly vulnerable to Russia and hailed a victory for Polish diplomatic efforts. The European Commission's positive recommendation in this regard is good news. It is information that, after all, was virtually impossible a few weeks ago, as we had received firm answers from certain EU countries that they would not agree to Ukraine's candidate status. We are pleased that this attitude has changed. It took some time, but the consistent diplomatic policy of Poland and the countries of Central and Eastern Europe has led to a certain shift in thinking regarding Ukraine or Moldova's membership status. Presidential adviser Paweł Sawek reminded Polski Radio, however, 
that becoming an EU candidate country is a great opportunity for Ukraine, but also requires them making a commitment to European values. Negotiating, discussing and preparing for the entry of each country into EU structures is a lengthy process. Countries that decide to join the European Union must meet the so-called Copenhagen criteria which require the government and the country to prepare for EU membership. We're talking here about economic issues, free market, democratic principles and freedom of elections. French MEP Bernard Guetta, a member of Renew Europe, asserts that the bloc needs to open its arms to all aspiring member states. But he agrees that no would-be member state can be offered any kind of political, economic or environmental exemption in order to fast-track their accession process. French broadcaster Euradio shares Guetta's comments. Firstly, we must not let Russia lose itself in imperial nostalgia that would quickly plunge the whole of Europe into endless wars and we must oppose Russia's rejection of Ukrainian independence. As Emmanuel Macron said in Kiev, Ukraine must have the means to resist and prevail, not so that Russia can be brought down, but so that the intangibility of borders and respect for national sovereignties once again becomes the rule on our continent. The second thing to do is successfully integrate the nine countries knocking on the door of the EU without paralyzing the European institutions. These countries cannot be allowed to remain in the Union's antechamber for 20 years or more, yet they must not be exempted from complying with the political, economic and environmental standards of the 27 member states. And on the eve of the summit in Brussels, Belgium's Prime Minister, Alexander de Croix, told President Zelensky that Belgium would stand behind Ukraine's bid to become a candidate country. Yet, as RTBF reports, de Croix was also keen to stress that Kyiv still has a long way to go in its European journey, implying that the Ukrainian president's desire for a special fast-track membership procedure is unlikely, to say the least. This is an important moment for the European continent. With the war today in Ukraine and Ukrainians fighting for our values, for our values of democracy, security and peace, giving a signal to the Ukrainian people of candidate status is a very important symbolic message. On the other hand, it does not mean that Ukraine will soon be part of the European Union. This is a process that takes many years, with a lot of challenging reforms. For us, it is very important, on the one hand, to make a strong, symbolic gesture, but on the other hand, to be very clear that meeting the conditions to become an EU member state is not easy and will take a long time. This is undoubtedly true, says Gediminas Vitkus a professor specialising in European integration at the Vilnius University Institute of International Relations and Political Science. Vitkus tells Jinyu Radias that there is no way Ukraine can become an EU member while still at war, and that even when the conflict ends, the country's devastated economy will represent a major stumbling block. At the moment, the hardest of all Europe's requirements would be for Ukraine to revive its shattered economy, it would be very difficult indeed to achieve the criterion of a competitive economy, recovered and able to function within the EU single market. On the other hand, of course, we can expect a great deal of help to be provided as and when the situation returns to normal. Wedged between the EU and Russia, 
the Romanian-speaking and former Soviet Republic of Moldova, has to date remained neutral on the war in Ukraine. The Moldovan people are right to be wary of nailing their colours to the mast, with Moscow-controlled Transnistria, an unrecognised breakaway state on their border with Ukraine, playing host to a small contingent of Russian troops. For the Moldovan people, the risk of Moscow overthrowing their pro-EU government, led by President Maya Sandu, is ever-present. The war in Ukraine is also putting the country under significant economic pressure, with the tiny country, home to just 2.5 million people, coping with an influx of half a million Ukrainian refugees. On Saturday, the Moldovan capital, Chisinau, saw for the first time a joint session of its parliament and the parliament of neighbouring Romania, reports Radio Romania. Moldova has committed to bringing about justice reform, fighting corruption and ensuring energy independence as part of its pro-European outlook. But Chisinau is counting on, and has been promised, Romania's support in bringing it into the EU fold. Florin Kitsu, the president of the Romanian Senate, explains Bucharest's thinking. The future of the Republic of Moldova is in the big European family. This is a fundamental aspiration of the Republic of Moldova and Romania alike, due to the values and ideals that have historically united us. This support for Moldova's EU integration and the consolidation of bilateral cooperation in all fields of activity was reiterated in a joint statement signed at the end of the parliamentary session. In the document, both states also firmly condemned the Russian aggression against Ukraine and called for the besieged nation's sovereignty and territorial integrity to be respected. Meanwhile, a Western Balkans summit took place in Brussels on Thursday the 23rd of June to discuss the opening of accession negotiations. This is yet another enlargement issue that has been making waves, particularly in Bulgaria, which has been blocking accession negotiations since November 2020 over historical and cultural disagreements. The subject proved extremely divisive to Kirill Petkov's ruling coalition in Sofia. Petkov's more open stance towards the possibility of North Macedonia's accession ultimately proved to be the downfall of his Liberal government after he narrowly lost a vote of no confidence on Wednesday. When asked by BNR how the EU was likely to react to the news of his premature departure just six months into his term of office, Kirill Petkov put on a brave face. Well, they will say to themselves, obviously change happens in stages. It doesn't happen all in one go. But we showed the European face of Bulgaria and I think we're proud of what we did and people appreciated us. In fact, the prospect of Bulgaria returning to the polls for the fourth time in just over a year has sent a shiver down the collective European spine. Right-wing parties with pro-Russia leanings are likely to make big gains this time round, which would suit Moscow down to the ground. Ironically, after blocking North Macedonia's accession for years while in power, as soon as the motion of no confidence passed, Boyko Borisov and his opposition Gerb party announced that they would also consider lifting their veto on this issue. The move is seen as disingenuous by Petkov and his allies and seems to back up his claim that the Bulgarian opposition was using the Macedonian issue to hold his cabinet to ransom any time that they came close to unveiling the previous government's corruption. Meanwhile, on the 18th of June, the French EU presidency submitted a proposal to break the Bulgarian-Macedonian deadlock and thus lift the veto that is also holding back Albania. The French proposal is based on two key documents. One is the negotiating framework being developed by Brussels, 
The other is the Bilateral Protocol, a joint commitment signed by Bulgaria and the Republic of North Macedonia. Although the French proposal is the most promising so far, Bulgaria's president, Ruman Radev, has reservations about the proposed bilateral protocol, believing that it does not provide sufficient guarantees to protect Bulgarian interests. I therefore call on the responsible institutions to establish the missing parameters in this bilateral protocol, because if it is not updated and refined, the negotiating framework itself becomes meaningless. I urge Bulgarian politicians not to rush to declare a historic victory, because the change in the North Macedonia constitution is not the last step, but the first on the path to integration. So, despite the bloc's best efforts, it seems that there is still some way to go. The continuing stalemate has drawn the ire of Albania, and North Macedonia of course, whose leaders expressed frustration at Thursday's summit that one country could scupper the whole process. Perhaps this is proof that the EU is not ready to enlarge before reforming how it functions? Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another look at current affairs from a Euronet Plus perspective. <laughs>